welcome back to Theology and Reality. Today we are covering our 17th episode of our Mariology tutorials. Last week we started in on the mystery of Mary's assumption into heaven. So today we want to finish that conversation. We finished up last week discussing essentially two different positions or asking the question of, well, did Mary die or did she not die? And we finished up going over how the majority of the tradition, especially in the East with the, the Eastern celebration of the Dormition, the falling asleep of Mary, seems to push us in the direction that she did in fact die. We'll get to that again in just a moment. Uh, so it's something that is pretty interesting, pretty important. But let's start in by looking at how Mary's perpetual virginity relates to this mystery. Now, some authors have attempted to link the perpetual virginity of Mary with her perpetual integrity of the body in the assumption. In other words, that the language of corruption is used analogically in reference to the loss of virginity. So that language of um, breaking down or corruption is sometimes used metaphorically in the ancient world to refer to the loss of virginity. But it's interesting because we talk about corruption of the body and death as well. And so if we want to talk about the Blessed Virgin being preserved from corruption in every single way, we already had talked about her her being prevented from and preserved from corruption in other ways. And so how fitting would it be to simply extend that as well? So if she is preserved from corruption in all ways, she'd be preserved from corruption in original sin, from personal sin, from the loss of her virginity, from the loss of any um, sort of her bodily integrity during her life, referring to um, right, illness, in fact, and finally, preservation from the corruption of decay in death. Now, this seems directly related, of course, to the curses levied against Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, specifically verses 14 through 19. And we see that pain in childbirth and decay in death are the result of Adam and Eve's sin. But if Mary is exempt from the divine curses in totality, then naturally she would be exempt from these in particular. So if we talk about her being exempt from the curse of original sin, having not taken on original sin in the Immaculate Conception, then it naturally makes sense to say, okay, if she's preserved from the curse due to original sin, then it would make sense that she be preserved from the results of these curses, which are pain and childbirth and decay and death. Now, how does this relate to her role as the co-redemptrix, which we discussed just a few weeks ago? Mary's role as the new Eve, as the helpmate, as we discussed, would hint at the logic of her continued association with her son in his complete victory over death. So if Mary is not assumed into heaven, then the parallelism, which had existed between mother and son all through his life, would end at Calvary, or at least in her own death. 
Now, one of the problems with various means of attempting to discern the position of the dogma of the assumption is when the discussion focuses on it as just another of Mary's privileges. But rather, the assumption is an integral piece in the economy of salvation. Mary's final destiny needs to be understood by analogy with reference to Christ. Now, the difference, of course, is that Mary is passive in a way that Christ is not. Christ rises under his own power. He ascends. She is merely assumed. And of course, this makes sense. Mary is a human person. Christ is a divine person. So in the New Testament, we read both that the Father raises Christ from the dead, as, as, as if it's an action of the Father on the Son. And at the same time, we also read that Christ rises. And so in the tradition of the church, those it can be talked about in both ways, right? that either God raises Jesus from the dead or Jesus rises from the dead, that is, under his own power. So in either way, it's a divine activity. And of course, Christ is a divine person, so it's his activity. Mary, as a human person, as a creature, needs to be passively worked on in this sense. So that's why we talk about Christ's ascension, but we talk about Mary's assumption. So that's the difference there. And as Christ is the pattern of our ultimate destiny, you could look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for instance, it is also fitting that a human person be raised to glory in anticipation of the fate of each of the members of Christ's body. Now, it's interesting because a lot of people will look at this as a kind of unique privilege, as if it's just Christ in heaven and his body in heaven right now and Mary, and, and that's all. But there are some interesting streams of the tradition that say that Mary's not even the only one who has been assumed into heaven. We could cite examples of Enoch, of the prophet Elijah being taken into heaven and appearing, and Moses as well. We read in the New Testament about Satan having a dispute with the angel Michael over Moses's body. And of course, the New Testament, right, that we have this, it's really interesting because the, the body of Moses is fought over by Satan and Michael, and you have Elijah taken up into heaven. And of course, it's Elijah and Moses that appear bodily at the transfiguration along with Christ on the mountain. So we, we could say a lot more, but we'll, we'll stop there as far as that goes. So if it's possible even for others to be assumed bodily into heaven, how much more so would it be fitting for the Blessed Virgin to be granted this privilege? So it's kind of argument both from fittingness and from, well, if, you know, if others even have been granted this, then why not her, right? Now, back to Mary's exemption from the dominion of death, because we want to talk about that just for a moment. First, we want to say Mary's freedom from original sin and personal sin removes the reality of death from Mary, not in itself, but as a punishment. So there's you can be subject to death, but not as a punishment, just like Christ. We could ask, well, if Christ is perfect, he's no sin, he's even God himself, or how could he suffer and be injured and wounded and die and be killed? Right? We could say, well, Christ is subject to death because he chose that for himself, but not as a punishment for sin, not as a curse. So we can make a distinction between Mary being free from original and personal sin and 
free from the reality of death as a punishment, but maybe not free from it altogether. Now, there's a small number of Latin theologians in the patristic and scholastic period, so in the early church and in the Middle Ages, who speak of Mary's death being due to her as a daughter of Adam, and thus as a daughter of Adam, as a member of the human race, which fell as a whole, owing the universal debt due to sin, because she's a part of the human race, which owes God a debt, but not because of her personal engagement with sin. So you see there's a difference. There's a difference between her being subject to the curses personally as a result of this as punishment, and yet still being subject to death simply as a member of the human race. Now, second, this freedom, her her exemption from the dominion and power of death can't be a result of her mortal nature in itself, since the restoration of justice in her would preclude this from following naturally. Well, what do I mean by that? If, if her death is a result of a universally binding law that applies to all human persons, then it would be that once the fall occurred, the only passage to glory is through death. And so when viewed from, from this perspective, we would say that death is necessary for the sake of glory and not on account of Mary being subject to death as a subject. So from this perspective, because of the fall, all human beings are destined for death, but that's the, that's the gate, the gateway, essentially, to the life of glory. Right. So her passing through the portals of death would be, as even scripture says, right, the, the, the path to glory. Now, of course, you know, having said all this, we would we would say that this would also seem to mean that Mary would never have gotten sick as well. Right. That's not something that's explicitly revealed to us. But that would be a kind of piece in the puzzle that if everything else we're saying is true, that kind of thing would seem to naturally follow. Right. Now, there is a significant stream of reflection that thirdly right, wants to look at Mary's death as from a third perspective and saying that Mary actually dies of love. That her experience, her union with God, thanks to all of the graces she's been giving, at a certain point at the end of her life, that an ecstasy of love is the cause of the soul being separated from the body. And so that death here, though truly present, would be a kind of painless and peaceful falling asleep, where the soul is still separated from the body, because that's what we mean by death, the separation of body and soul, just like Christ underwent death. And so when he died, Christ's human soul was separated from his body. It's part of what we talk about, the mystery of the harrowing of hell on Holy Saturday. So that if Mary actually, if she dies of love, it's a kind of ecstasy of love. We talk about ecstasy as being kind of outside of yourself. Right? And so in this sense, it would be the greatest ecstasy possible, a true standing outside of yourself where the soul is actually separated from the body. And that would, of course, would result in death. Now, in reference to Mary's exemption from decomposition, this is a particular detail of the primeval curse in Genesis. So humanity is cursed not just to death, 
but to actually return to dust. And so if we talk about the assumption of Mary as preserving her from uh, corruption, this would seem to also be a significant part of this exemption from the dominion of death and the curse that turns human beings back into dust when we decompose. All right, so Mary's assumption continuing, if the separation of the soul from the body lasts for longer than is necessary, then death has won. Right? So, so far we've been talking about the death of Mary and her being, her, her being separated from her body. But now if we think about the sort of last movement of this mystery, the actual assumption of her body, we can view it as a genuine and true and necessary victory because, as I mentioned, right, if body and soul are separated longer than necessary, then death has won. It wouldn't be fitting for Mary to be redeemed from sin and conquer death in every possible way except this one. So if she is Theotokos, if she is the God-bearer in body and soul, the prolonged separation of body and soul would be no more fitting than the, a prolonged separation of Christ's body and soul. As the maternal bride, Christ would do the same for her as for himself, since he is of the same flesh as her. Right? We've talked about Mary being brought into the hypostatic union in the sense that she's physically, literally by flesh and blood, united to a divine person. And so the bridegroom is said to love his bride as his own flesh, according to the teaching of the apostle. And so Christ's love for Mary is especially fitting as a sign of love for the church. And finally, practically speaking, Mary would be most perfectly effective in her role as the mediatrix only with the possession of her body, because it is with the repossession of her body, with the reunion, the reunification of body and soul, that her perfection is finally complete, right? So even, even the blessed in heaven who are just united in soul alone, waiting for the return of their body are not yet perfected finally, completely, because they're still waiting for their body. But the assumption of body and soul, this gift of the reunification of those two substances, those two realities, is the final perfection in glory. And so that seems to me to be both fitting and to make perfect sense. And one last thing right here at the end, there is actually a very interesting note that we could add here based on what contemporary and modern biology and science has discovered about childbirth. Recent studies of the last few decades have demonstrated a curious anomaly that has been dubbed microchimerism. You can look this up. There's articles about it. And so this, this phenomenon is where the cells from a child in the womb cross through the woman's placenta and enter into the mother's body, where they then become part of the mother's living tissue. So every single mother, every single woman who has conceived a child within them, for the rest of their life, continues to carry the unique genetic material of their offspring within their own bodies, even after childbirth. So theologically speaking, this would seem to lend yet another motive for the assumption. It would seem to be quite unfitting 
for the body of the Immaculate, for the body of Our Lady, who retained some of the incarnate words living cells within her own body to be corrupted. So because we've seen that mothers continue to carry unique genetic material from their children with them forever, that would mean that Mary would have walked around as a kind of living tabernacle, literally carrying living genetic material from Christ within her after his conception and birth for the rest of her life. And so it makes perfect sense to then also say, well, if Christ needs to be, needs to ascend into heaven because he needs to not see corruption, then it makes perfect sense to assume Mary into heaven as well. So not just for her own sake, but also for the sake of the incarnation. So hopefully that's an interesting little bit uh, scientifically. Um, you know, not, not every mystery of the church can be illuminated quite that way with the natural sciences, but I think that's, that's an interesting one. All right, so we're done there. We're done with our time spent on the assumption. We will come back with just one or two more episodes where we will finish up our time in Mariology. Next week, we're going to get into the topic of Our Lady and the Church. So I hope you can join us for that again. Until then, have a great week. I hope to see you here next time.